Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, right now I am joined by author Maria Garcia. Maria, thank you for joining me tonight. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's really exciting. You have a book out in stores right now titled Silly Women Anonymous. Maria, can you tell me about the book? Well, Silly Women Anonymous is reflective of really the perfect church. And it's a fictitious organization in the book. And it's where silly women go for healing from the silly syndrome. (laughs) So (laughs) these women have done some foolish things in their relationship with men. And, you know, they find themselves at Silly Women Anonymous, this organization, and they are mentored using scriptures to bring them to a point of healing. Hmm. I understand you went to the book of 2 Timothy to draw your inspiration for this. Yes, 2 Timothy chapter 3, first seven verses, and it really talks about in the last days there will be men who would be self-lovers, lovers of themselves, and they would creep into silly women's houses and leaving them laden with lust. And the author of that book in the Bible, he says, from such men turn away. So I was inspired to write this book to enlighten women who have done silly things in their lives in relationships with men and enlighten them so that they can basically identify with the actions of these women and their emotions and help them apply scriptures to their own personal situations. So it's a kind of self-help book in storytelling form. Maria, would this be a book that unbelievers would also get something from? Well, I believe that it goes right across the board, whether you are old or young or Christian, non-Christian, you know, Jew, Gentile, Muslim, it doesn't matter. I think there's one thing in common that women have is we go through a lot in relationships with men. Mm. And when we are in love, we sometimes do silly things. And I think that is something that everybody, every woman, you know, we have in common. So I believe that the stories are so relatable Mm. that people would go for it. And, you know, you don't really even have to believe in the Bible to want to read it because somebody called me just a couple minutes ago and said to me, the book is actually a page turner. You can't Mm. put it down. Oh, wow. So how long of a process was this for you, Maria, to write the book and then put it through that publishing process? Well, it took actually 12 years Hmm. not to write the book, but to publish it. I wrote the book in about a couple of months, but I held on to it until I felt the moment was right to release it. So the time is now. This is my moment, and I'm going for it all the way. I'm glad you did. I can only imagine what you were feeling the moment that you got that first copy in and you got to hold this book in your hands for the first time. What was that like, Maria? And it was like 
finally my life is coming full circle. Mm. That's how I felt. I felt this book had a lot to do with my destiny and it's just the beginning of a new chapter in my life. So it was really heartfelt, heartfelt emotion. And have you given thought to writing another and publishing more? Well, actually, the sequel to Silly Woman Anonymous is already written. Oh, wow. And it's already in the publisher's hands. And I believe sometime, maybe before the year ends or early next year, it will be on the bookshelf. And just to give you a little teaser, it is the same stories that are in Silly Woman Anonymous, but told from the men's perspective. Interesting. So my intention is to get men and women together and start talking about these issues so that they can realize that men and women think differently and their emotions a little bit different from each other. I know a lot of readers are really going to love this book, and I encourage my listeners out there to go out and check this book out. It's titled Silly Women Anonymous. It's written by Maria Garcia. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this one everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and down the street at your local bookshop. Maria, thank you again for joining me tonight, telling me about Silly Women Anonymous. I hope we get to talk again sometime. Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me. Right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm sitting right next to author Charles Boudet. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I'm glad to have you. You have a new book out in stores titled Stone Angel. Charles, what's this book all about? It's a love story is what it is. It's a man and a woman that meet under extraordinary circumstances. We follow them together for about a year and watch their relationship develop. What sorts of readers did you have in mind when you were writing this? Really, uh, there's not that many men that will admit that they like romance novels, but <laughs> a lot of them do, you know? Mm-hmm. So women, of course, anyone over late 20, there's some vulgarity, there's a little bit of violence, but not, you know, nothing gratuitous. It's mostly about affection, feelings, loyalty, such as that. Hmm. How did you get the idea for this story, Charles? Well, it's crazy. I was watching a documentary about out-of-control paparazzi in Hollywood, how they hound and stalk and sometimes even hold celebrities hostage, mm-hmm. you know, while they take their photographs. There's an iconic picture of Harris Hilton trying to leave a parking lot at night uh, with a young male driver, and they surrounded by photographers and just kept flashing and wouldn't let them leave. And I realized that, you know, it wasn't about pictures anymore. Now it was about power. Sarah Jessica Parker in this documentary said there's nothing can be done about this, and I thought to myself, Oh, yeah, sure there is, you know. So I just came up with the concept of a company that protects these people in their own special way. Interesting. Charles, when it comes to writing and being published and all that, have you ever done it before? Well, I retired about 15 years ago, and my wife pretty much, you know, told me, you better get a hobby, pal, because you're not going to be hanging around the bars. (laughs) So I started writing, and um, I've read a lot of short stories. I have a couple of manuscripts laying around. This book here is probably the only one I'm really proud of. I like this book, and I'm my biggest critic. So I spent about a year writing it and a couple of years massaging it, and finally my wife was getting tired. She goes, listen, you need to get this thing published or burn it because I'm tired of these daily readings. <laughs> and all that went, and, it, you know, it, it Fulton Books, I take my hat off to them. They've done a nice job. They were easy to work with. I'm very pleased. I don't know if you're looking at the cover of it, mm-hmm. but the cover blew me away. I, I had a concept. I gave them my thoughts. They did the exact opposite, and it's 100 times better than I want. (laughs) 
Uh, what was that moment like for you then, Charles, when you got the first physical copy of Stone Angel and you got to hold this thing that you've been working on? Well, it was a good feeling, you know, a feeling of accomplishment. But to tell you the truth, it also came with a little bit of dread, you know. I mean, mm. I hope it didn't bomb or, you know, be worse be an atomic bomb. I mean, I, I didn't write this to make money. I don't think too many people write books to make money unless their name was King or Patterson. <laughs> but there's an investment here, and I'd just like to get that money back. Everybody that's read it so far that's gotten back to me really likes it, and I really believe them. Uh, so, you know, if I get my investment back, fine. In the meantime, I'm just happy that a lot of people are pleased with what I wrote. Hmm. Have you given any thought to maybe a sequel to this or some other kind of writing in the future? Well, I tell you the truth, I'm about 15 chapters into a sequel. Mm. It's getting a little mired, you know. Anybody that reads Stone Angel will probably finish and say, how in the world can they make a sequel to this? <laughs> but I've got some ideas, you know. I'm working on something else. Yeah, there'll be something, I'll be moving something ahead most likely in the next year. Yeah, sometimes the writing process can be kind of choppy, you know. Sometimes you'll be writing and the words are flowing out and it's real easy, but you know, sometimes you get writer's block and nothing's coming out. So, Charles, do you get stuff like that? And then how do you get through those challenges? Of course, you know. I mean, I uh, watched this movie about Truman Capote one time and I'm watching this, the actor who, I, I forget his name, but the wonderful actor, he passed away, who sat with his typewriter and just wrote one page or another page or another page. I say, who can do that? I actually started with the concept of this protection company, and I worked a story around it. So basically, I started the story in the middle. So it's not exactly a good method. I don't suggest anybody copy what I do, but that's what works for me. So what advice, Charles, would you have for listeners out there who are the authors or just starting out in this whole thing? Patience. You know, write what makes you, you, you feel passionate about, and just be patient. Put one word after another, but just be patient. It's a long haul. Absolutely. I think a lot of people will really be into this book and should go check it out. The title is Stone Angel. It's written by Charles Boudet. It is published by Fulton Books. And you can get it everywhere, of course, like on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes and Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Charles, thank you again for joining me here on the show, telling me about Stone Angel and everything that you're doing. I had a nice time talking with you tonight. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Sitting right next to me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is Fierce Fiore. Fierce, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, I love the title of the new book you have out right now. It's called No Freaking Onion. So, Fierce, this is a cookbook. This is maybe for people with food allergies. Can you tell me all about it? Well, it's pretty much as it says, no freaking onions. There is not an onion to be found whatsoever. And there's, I mean, there's just so many recipes. Mm. It's very eclectic. Um, a lot of dressings, rubs, marinades, no desserts. I know, spicy. Do you like spicy? Oh, yeah. You're not a wussy spice, right? Not baby spice? I like it spicy. All right. Well, then you should check out some of the recipes. Fierce, why did you choose these specific recipes for this book? Well, some of them are just favorites, all-time favorites of mine. And then some are just me just playing around and creating and coming up with ideas. Mm. You know, I put Grammy and Papa's Italian Corner in there. That's love of Grammy and Papa and all the wonderful stuff they used to make me, her gravy and meatballs and everything. And then, of course, seafood. Who doesn't love seafood? Oh, yeah. A fierce, I'm not a cook. So if I were to open this right now with the stuff I have in my kitchen, would I be able to do this or would I have to be a little more advanced? No, of course. Anybody can do this. 
I tried to make this easy and really manageable. Like I have friends that don't cook, but that have no clue and they could do this. Wonderful. When I was doing the pictures, listen, you don't need a fancy kitchen. I don't care how many shows you watch and you see the great kitchen. <laughs> and it is a love having a great kitchen and all the gadgets, but you don't need them. When I did these pictures, I was working with a girlfriend at a motel. And after doing the rooms and we were doing laundry, I would go into the kitchen. <laughs> okay, now this was not a kitchen. This was a sunroom with a half a stove and a sink. And I could still create all those dishes. You don't need all the equipment. Of course, it's fun to have. But do you really need it? No. To create the stuff, you can do the twisted calamari, everything. It's just simple. It's easy to read, easy to follow. I mean, I do tell you, like, the tamales, do a party. Mm. Have a party. Have people do them. That is, a, it's a very long process. <laughs> They're easy. And when it comes to publishing fears, have you ever done anything like this before? Or is this your first time getting involved in this? This is my first. Congratulations. What was the most challenging part about the whole thing for you? <laughs> well, let's see. When I first, when I came up with the idea, it was just an idea. And then because everybody was asking me, oh, well, can we have this recipe? Can we have that? And I'm like, no. And then finally, I'm like, you know what? You want my recipes, you're just going to have to buy them. So I started putting recipes together and putting recipes together and more recipes <laughs> There's so much research to do. You can get lost in it. I get lost in research. But once I finally came down to it, it was like, all right, we can do this. You know, it's a dream. You have to chase your dreams. But dreams are attainable. Even when life gets in the way, you can still do your dream. There's nothing like seeing the product of all your hard work and your dream actually realized, Fierce. So uh, what was that moment like for you when you got the first physical copy of this in? Was that crazy? That was exciting. Mm. That was me taking pictures, sending them on to all my friends and family <laughs> going, look, look, it's here. But then, you know, it's like the next wave sets in. Mm. And it's like, okay, I have a book. Now what? Because it's now like, it's okay, it's out there and everybody's going to buy it. Now it's like, okay, now I have to market. Now I have to sell it. So you know, you're on, I'm on to the next wave of getting it out there and letting everybody know. It's not just word of mouth and friends and, you know, it's, for the whole world to see. Hmm. Well, I encourage my listening audience to check this out, especially if you're not that great a cook, because I think you'll find out that you can cook, and there's some great recipes in here. It's called No Freaking Onion. It's written by Fierce Fiore. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing, and of course you can find it everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and down the street at your local bookshop, too. Well, Fierce, it's been great talking with you tonight and learning about no freaking onion and all the spice that you're putting in your food. I had a really good time tonight. Oh, good. I'm so happy. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm sitting right next to author Alan Withers. Alan, thanks for joining me here tonight. Thank you for inviting me. It's really exciting. You have a new book out called a Guiding Light to the Future. So, Alan, can you tell me about the book? Okay, this is the most mind-expanding book that I think has ever been written. It mm. takes one from first principles about light in its physical manifestation and also in its spiritual manifestation. It helps us understand certain basic ideas that govern our lives in a more positive way, ideas which will help us understand the life experience. 
the only way I can prove this is probably is present time is through those who've had a near-death experience and have always seemed to come back with a similar idea as that they look down on their physical body and realize they are very much still alive and they're composed of light, a higher spiritual light, and their physical body is just something that they use this lifetime. So I think we're beginning to be more ready for these new understandings to help us forward. As science expands in so many different areas, I think needs to be a much more ready acceptance of some of these new spiritual ideas that are coming to us. Mm, fascinating, Alan. you got to tell me, how did the idea come about for this? How are you inspired to write? Well, it seems to be something I've been interested in my whole lifetime. And from a very early age, I started writing books going more into metaphysical ideas of understanding life. And it's taken me through a very interesting experience of life, um, visiting many different groups. And I've been lucky to be guided to areas that seem to have a similar theme running through them all the time. I think it's about time. I think we're in a crisis of understanding of what life is really about this time on, on the planet. There mm. just seems to be so many different areas that are coming together of a crisis of understanding. And instead of having divisive ways of trying to solve this, I want us to have a more spiritual way of seeing each other more as brothers and sisters than someone who has an idea that I don't like and I don't want anything to do with them. If we go to our higher selves, then we'll have a better understanding of who we truly are. Mm. How long of a journey was this for you, Alan, from when you first sat down and started writing those first few words up until it hit stores? <laughs> first started to put my ideas down about 10 years ago, and I looked at it and I thought, well, I know this is interesting, but I'm not sure it's quite ready to let people out there read it. So mm. I've been trying to think a bit deeper and push myself more deeper into meditation and get higher ideas, which I think will be more attractive to people. So it's last two years, really, I've been able to put this down in writing and uh, hope that other people will also be excited by it. Mm. Is this your first foray into the world of writing and publishing? Yeah, yeah. As I said, I, I've tried different times to do writing. It never seems quite the right time. So probably now that I'm in my more senior years, <laughs> I can finally sit back and reflect on life and put it down. Well, I could imagine that when that day came, Alan, and you got that first hard copy in of A Guiding Light to the Future, and you got to hold this thing you've been working on and thinking about all those years, what was that moment like? It's just incredible. I never thought I would be able to do it. <laughs> it was suddenly, it was like a pressure coming to me that, you know, you've got to put this down. You've got to put this down. So mm. finally, I started sitting down and it seemed to flow quite naturally. Mm. Do you think you have more books in you, Alan? Do you think you might be doing this again in the future? Yes, I think that I can do a trilogy. And mm. this is the first book. And this is sort of a basic, concise idea, which will help to understand the second book which is more about the great shift we need to go to at this time. I think that we are definitely out in, of alignment with nature, and nature is very forcefully beginning to tell us that we've got to change the way we live on this planet. Mm -hmm. And I can see that this will help us in getting to those ideas. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this book and discover a lot about themselves when they read this book. It's titled, A Guiding Light to the Future. It's written by Alan Withers. It's published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere, of course, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. 
on iTunes and also Google Play. Well, and thank you again for coming on the show and telling me about this really fascinating book. I had a nice time chatting tonight. Great. Thanks. Love telling you about it. The 100-Fold Principle, How to Hit the Mark Each and Every Time. That's the new book. It just hit store shelves. It's written by Alethea Veritas Emmett. Alethea is right here with me now, and we're going to talk all about the book. Alethea, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Hello. It's fantastic you have this new book out. Can you tell me what readers can expect in The 100-Fold Principle? Well, among the many important topics that I expand on and clarify, this is not a novel. This is a reference self-help book. Mm. So it's, it's not your ordinary work. And I concentrate on scripture. That's what this is all about, trying to help clarify scripture. And I discovered kind of a, I know what the word code or key, but that's just what it is. But I, I clarify the contradictions that seem to be in the New Testament. I know that's kind of strange, but they are there. And they're identified by the famous known parable of the sower. Everybody knows parable of the sower, where the seed falls and the crop grows. But the last part of the parable of the sower is what really interests me, where it talks about the production of fruit. When it says some will produce 30-fold, some will produce 60-fold, and some will produce 100-fold. And that fold is kind of a strange word, so I would substitute the word fold for percent. And what it's getting at is that when the seed or the Word of God falls on the good ground, which is a good heart, a receptive heart, some people will produce 30% results. Some people will produce 60% results. And other people will produce 100% results. Hence, that's kind of the name of my book, The 100-Fold Principle on how to hit the mark, you know, each and every time. And this is just not a one-time thing, because chapter two is the parable of the sower, and the next chapter is the three wills of God. Interestingly, out of Romans 12, 1 and 2, the very last line of Romans 12, 2 is that you renew your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Mm -hmm. Well, here's those same category of three. Now, through my discernment or my spiritual logic, I would assume that those that produce 30% results are in God's goodwill. <laughs> those that produce 60% results are in God's acceptable will. And those that produce 100% results, which really isn't that hard to do, and my book explains how, will get 100% results. And then this also builds upon the next chapter, where in the book of First John, the Apostle John describes three categories of people. He addresses the little children, the young men, and the fathers. So now we're going to expound on that fact that the little children who get 30% results are in God's goodwill. This is all, you know, spiritual fruit, you know. And those, the young men, the mature young men who get 60% results, they're, well, that's God's acceptable will. And then you have the fathers. And the fathers are the, like the heads, the elders, the, you know, spiritual Sanhedrin, whatever you want to call them. And they get 100% results 100% of the time. And then it just keeps on building. That category of three is just repeated throughout the whole book. Mm -hmm. And there's like five pages of tables of contents. And I address 100, 100-fold topics. And then in the end, I introduce metaphysics into the whole picture from Charles Fillmore and his metaphysical Bible dictionary. Hmm. Lethia, sounds like there's a lot in this book. Did this take you a long time to write? Friends told me that I needed to put down to paper all the information 
they ordered me. They did. They said, <laughs> Alethea, sit down. We want you to write down everything that's been rattling around in your head for your whole life. And I just looked at them and I said, are you crazy? <laughs> and they said, no, you'll be crazy if you don't. Mm. And so I had a net core of friends who kept pushing me. And it wasn't easy because I ended up for a long period of time homeless for a while. And so I got an old manual typewriter and went to Staples and got the ribbon for it. And for 15 years, and just the last few years here, I've been able to have electricity. And that's when I got my new laptop and it took me about three years to actually type it all up and get it all took care of. The title is The 100-Fold Principle, How to Hit the Mark Each and Every Time. This is written by Alethea Veritas Emmett and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get it everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Alethea, thank you again for joining me here at the show and telling me all about this book. I had a nice time talking with you. Thank you very much. Have a good day. I'm joined right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable by author Douglas Turner. Douglas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight. Thank you. You have a new book out in stores right now. The title is The Pilgrim Journey, Miles to Go, Promises to Keep. Doug, can you tell me what this book is all about? Okay, Corey, it's a, I call it a family book of the past century, uh, entailing the throes of the Great Depression and the horrors of World War II. And it's often referred to as the greatest generation. Amanda wrote it to give tribute to my mother. Mm. How long of a process was this for you, Doug, both writing it and then putting it through that publishing process? Corey, a lot of the incidents happened while I was very, very young, five years old, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. So I started jotting this down many years ago, probably 40 years ago, and then I typed it up on a manual typewriter so I wouldn't forget some of it. Have you ever written a book, Douglas? Have you ever been published before this? No, we've always been, you might say, busy in uh, our homework and regular work and church work and other kind of work and keeping in touch with our family members. So, no, I haven't just had this one interest as far as a book over the years in that regard. And there's nothing like seeing that finished product, that thing that you worked so hard toward all that time. Douglas, whenever you got the first physical copy in of The Pilgrim Journey, what was that moment like for you? Oh, it's very satisfying, but poor it has taken a lot of a lot of sweat, so to speak. Mm. Them sending in material and them losing it, me having to reproduce it. Oh no. <laughs> That's just one of the stories. <laughs> but I finally it's supposed to be uh, I think a publication in the next couple of years. Official mm. publication. And of course we got the pre publication in about a week or so ago to Amazon and so forth. The public release should be, like I say, uh, in a couple of days. Douglas, what are the chances that you'll write another after this? Have you thought about that? <laughs> now, Corey, I'm uh, nearing 98 years old, so I'm afraid time's not on my side for writing another and putting another book. But thanks for asking. Well, never say never. You never know what the Lord has in store for you, Douglas. Well, you're very, very true. It is very true, yes. But I enjoy every day, and thankfully I still have some uh, some wiggles upstairs that takes care of my thinking. 
And Douglas, a lot of people who are listening to us right now are authors who are just starting out. Do you have any advice that you could give them? Well, I guess you might say my advice would just to uh, have a lot of patience. <laughs> and uh, a lot of redos are, if they don't correct any things that you ask them to do, it's just all to, to ask them to read to uh, do it the next time. That's one of my main problems. They haven't corrected things when I sent in. So it's just a recorrection so, so many times. Douglas, I'm curious. Would you call yourself an avid reader? Do you find yourself buried in books a lot? Oh, I like to read. A lot of my reading is on the war years. I have a whole of rack of books on the, you know, World War II, Korean War, which I was in. Hmm. Douglas, did you have people around you while you were writing this who knew you were doing this and they could motivate you and encourage you along the way? Well, no, I knew that's what I wanted to do many years ago. And like I say, started jotting down things and finally putting them in place. And I, I, I self-published this about eight years ago. One of my grandsons that was in the Air Force, he looked over it and he might say sort of edited it put me on a uh, so-called rock source to get the right words and uh, synonyms and so forth in. So he helped me a, a lot because it had been a long time since I took an English course. Well, I think this book will bless a lot of readers. I encourage my listeners right now to check it out. It's titled The Pilgrim Journey, Miles to Go, Promises to Keep. This is written by Douglas Turner and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. And of course, you can get it anywhere, like on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Douglas, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about the Pilgrim journey. I had a nice time talking with you. You're very nice for contacting me, and I appreciate you calling. Joining me here now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Gail Winter. Gail, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very glad to be here. I'm very glad that you're joining me, especially because you got a new book out. It's titled Nuclear Prayers That Blast the Devil, a Spiritual Weapons Handbook. Gail, you got to tell me all about this book. <laughs> it's explosive. Mm. <laughs> Really, when we learn to pray correctly, it really comes down to declaring our, well, we become nuclear to the devil. And, you know, he has to back off because we are walking in authority using the word of God and the blood of Jesus. And, you know, that creates a wall of protection. He's just not able to penetrate. Gail, was it just believers in general that you were speaking to with this, or did you have more of a narrow group that you were writing for? Well, it's really for all people, because mm. I certainly lead people through salvation, and I help disciple them, because mm. so many new believers get lost soon after they're born again. Mm. They don't have right direction, whether they're not connected to a church or their church doesn't particularly do well in the area of discipling the new believers. And so, so many believers fall through the cracks. And if we could just show them the important things of their words, using their words to speak the Word of God and apply that to their everyday situation, it will literally change their lives. And so, it's not just for mature believers. It's for believers of all kinds. And then I would say that it is for unbelievers as well that we, of course, hope to be saved, born again. 
Gail, can you go back and tell me about the time that you got the idea for this? You were inspired and you said to yourself, I got to sit down, start writing this thing. Well, it was way back as early as 2009. I had been teaching word printing classes to some that would be Sunday school classes, and I would write my own curriculum. I had a lot of handouts. I'm a teacher at heart, so I'd have a lot of handouts and things, and these attendees would give them to their family and friends, and they just kept asking for more and more. And also, my husband and I minister to a lot of people, and we needed everything together in one easy-to-use resource Mm. that we could quickly get our hands on, whether people were calling about needing healing or finances or their marriage, and that could be at their fingertips. So this has been developing since then. In 2012, Whitaker Publishing called me and asked me if they could publish it, and they did, but they sort of changed things around and all that, and I wasn't 100% happy. So when all that inventory was exhausted, I chose a publisher who would allow me to do it exactly the way that I believe God wanted me to do. So it's been a long time in coming, and yet this very last edition has been since the end of 2022. I can only imagine the feelings that you had whenever you got to hold this book for the first time. What was that like for you, Gail? It's like having a baby. Mm. I mean, I've had I've had a few myself, and this truly is like birthing a baby because, you know, I spent over five months of uh, many, many hours a day, 12 to 16 hours a day, six days a week, bringing this all together, and it was a profound project. Mm. And so then to finally see it in print was wonderful, mostly because I knew then that I could get it into the hands of many, many people who I believe can be helped by the book. Mm. Gail, I love your passion. I can tell that you love telling people about the Lord and you love teaching people. So do you think you'll be writing more in the future? Well, I actually have, Corey. Mm. I've written four other books, and I probably will write to the day Jesus takes me home. And I think a lot of people definitely will be helped by this book. I encourage my listeners right now to go and look for this. Check it out. It's titled Nuclear Prayers That Blast the Devil, a Spiritual Weapons Handbook. It's written by Gail Winter. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. And it's available everywhere, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Gail, thanks again for coming on the show and talking with me tonight. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Well, thank you, Corey. I appreciate it. I'm just thankful that you wanted to get me involved. Thank you. The Adventures of Callie and Boone, The Pups Learn Encouragement. This is a book in the Adventures of Callie and Boone series. It's written by Ron Morton, and it just hit stores. I'm really excited that the author, Ron Morton, he's right here with me now. We get to talk all about this book. Ron, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The pleasure's all mine. Ron, can you tell me what readers can expect in the Adventures of Callie and Boone, The Pups Learn Encouragement? Yeah, a story is about two pups named Callie and Boone, and Callie's excited to learn how to ride her bike uh, without training wheels. And she failed her first few attempts at it. And uh, Callie and Boone learned some lessons on encouragement and how to continue fighting for your goals, even in the face of adversity. Hmm. Of course, this is a children's book. Uh, Ron, did you have an age range of children in mind? I think between about the ages of four and ten is the target group, I believe. And what inspired you to write this, Ron? Where'd you get the idea for this story? 
I have seven children, so I'm a parent. I have nine grandchildren. So I've got a lot of life experiences around children, and I just know that it's good to give kids encouragement and opportunities to learn things that are real life and that they can relate to the Bible and some Bible verses. So I thought it would be good to put that message out there. When it comes to writing and publishing and all that, Ron, have you ever done this before? I have not. This is my first attempt. I do have two other books that were done fairly similar time frame, but no, this is my first attempt at this. Oh, congratulations. Getting your first book out there is a huge deal. So many people say, I'm going to write a book someday, but very few of them actually do. So kudos to you for sticking it out. What was it like when you got the first copy of this in? You know, you work on it so long, you see it up on the computer screen that whole time, and now you got to hold it. What was that like for you, Ron? Yeah, that was very exciting to get it in person and actually hold it. And it kind of gave me some motivation. I just feel like the journey's begun when you finally get that first book. I feel like there's about 20 to 25 books in my head that's spinning that's along the same series. So getting that first one done in my hand just kind of motivates me to keep going and, and make more. Fantastic. Now, did this one take you a long time to do being your first book? You know, I think it did. I don't know because I've never done one, so I'm not sure what the expectation was. But it took me about six months to write it and then another good 12 months to get the illustration the way you wanted it and changing the words. So it was about an 18-month journey, so I don't know if that's maybe a little longer than it may should have taken, but I think it was a good ride. Yeah, the illustrations are something that's sort of unique to children's books because not only do you have to write the words and get the words right, but you got to make the visuals line up with what you've been writing. How challenging of a process was that to get the illustrations the way you wanted them? That was probably the most challenging part because I talked to multiple illustrators and then you can't try to get perfection. You just got to get it the right way that fits your story. Mm. You know, in the beginning, I wanted it to be just exactly the vision I had in my head. And I told that to the illustrators and got different ones back in. And then I was able to find one that was really good. And so I'm very excited about how it turned out. And now that you got your first one out there, Ron, what's the most rewarding aspect to you of now being a published author? I think my children and grandchildren seeing it and getting to read it. So I'm getting to see actual parents, you know, share it with their children. The stories have Bible verses in the back of the book, so I feel like that helps the child to relate the Bible to real life. So I want the stories to be about real-life events that they see that they can relate to actual Bible verses. Mm. So I'm getting to see that with my own children and grandchildren. That's very rewarding, Sadie. Do you have any words of wisdom now that you can offer to those listening to us right now who are authors just starting out with things? Yeah, I think the first thing in, in, in about anything in life is you have to pray about it, and then you have to listen to your heart. If you feel like it's something that you're being led to do and it's something you want to do, take baby steps if you have to. Don't you know, don't do it all at once. Just take a little bit of time, take a break, go back to it, but just keep on going, and you get there. And that's you know, don't give up. Mm, great advice. Well, I know children and families are going to really enjoy this book. It's titled "The Adventures of Callie and Boone: The Pups Learn Encouragement." This is part of the Adventures of Callie and Boone series, and it's written by Ron Morton. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and of course you can get it everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and also down the street at your local bookshops. Well, Ron, thank you again for joining me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable and telling me about this series. I had a nice time chatting with you tonight. Corey, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate it, and I really enjoyed it as well. There's a new book out in stores right now by author Joan Hope. It's titled, Messages He Gave Me. 
Joan is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we get to talk all about this book. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Joan, can you tell me what Messages He Gave Me is all about? Well, it's just a collection of sermons that I preached mainly in my own church over a period of about 10 years. And the topics are everyday things like complaining, keeping up appearances, helping God, things like that. Mm. It's written in conversational style for easy reading. And the book is just divided into five sections. One section about women and grandparents. Another section says spiritual growth, Christian living. Another one, encouragement. And the final section was sermons that I preached at Christmas times, and that's called mm-hmm. Christmas Blessings. So in a nutshell, that's what the book is all about. Joan, what inspired you to take your sermons and publish them in book format? Well, I thought that as I preached the sermons in my own church, they were just meant for the people in my church at the time. But as I thought about it, I thought there are people who can be blessed by these sermons, and it could bring comfort, assurance, or salvation or something to somebody who might be needing it. And therefore, if I put it in a book, it would go further than just, you know, among the members of my church who had heard this sermon. Mm. Did it take you a long time then to take your sermons and then put them in that conversational tone you were talking about? What happened is (laughs) I am an educator by profession, and Mm. so I teach. And when I teach, I just have, you know, broad outlines, and that's what I preach from. But the good thing about it was that at the end of each sermon that I preached in church, the technical division gave me a CD of that sermon. And I had all these CDs sitting there doing nothing. And so what I did when I thought that it would be best for me to get the message out rather than having them sitting there, I got the CDs and then I transcribed them from audio to text and then sent them to the publisher. So I had the, I had the sermons that I over like 10, 12 years of sermons. And so I just cataloged them and got them together and got them, you know, all sorted out and got them transcribed. It took me a year, which is a long time, because I had a lot of editing to do, you know, between the editors. They send it back to you, you get it back, you fix up, you know, some things, and then you send it again, and then you find some more errors that maybe came with the transcription. So I had to fix that up, and that's what took the year. But the sermons were there. They were just sitting there on CDs. Is this the first time being published? Have you done this kind of thing before, John? Oh, no, this is my first time. Mm, Congratulations. Well, thank you. What was that moment like for you whenever you got that first physical copy and you got to hold this book finally after all that time? Oh, my goodness. Relief, happiness, (laughs) peace. (laughs) I mean, I was really pleased. I was really pleased. Have you given thought to writing another, being published again? Not yet. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-mm. I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way of publishing your first book, Joan. So a lot of people listening to us right now are authors just starting out. Do you have anything maybe you learned along the way that you could pass on to them? For new would-be authors, just 
make a start. And once you put your feet in the water and you, you know that you're not taking your feet out, you just go forward. Well, I know this book is really going to bless a lot of readers. It's titled Messages He Gave Me. It's written by Joan Hope, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing, and it's available everywhere, of course, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. And Joan, thank you again for joining me tonight, telling me about the messages he gave me and everything you do. I had a nice time talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. there's one thing you can be certain about in life, it's that life is uncertain, but there is hope. That's the basis of the new book out by Patricia Seward Graham. It's titled Hope in a Time of Despair, A Caregiver's Journey of Faith. Patricia is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We're going to chat all about the book. Patricia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to be talking about this book. Patricia, can you tell me what readers can expect in Hope in a Time of Despair? Yes, what readers can expect is a story about my caregiving journey with my husband. He suffered a stroke while we were celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Oh, no. And as you said earlier, your life and situation can change in the blink of an eye. And that's what happened with us hmm. in celebrating, looking forward to a nice trip. And suddenly the stroke happened and it was just gut wrenching and just threw our lives into a whirlwind. So this book is to give people hope that no matter how difficult your situation or your circumstances seem, that maybe there's no solution to that situation. If you believe and trust in God, you should never give up. Mm. That there is light at the end of the tunnel. And no matter how dark it seems, that light is just a moment away. So I'm hoping this book is going to encourage people to have that faith and never give up. And understand that as we go through life, things are going to change. It's not going to be happy all the time. But it's how we deal with those moments of despair and have that hope so that we can have an enjoyable life. I love that message, Patricia. What inspired you to write this book? How did you decide you needed to write this and then publish it? I have been thinking about this book for a long time. And it seems that everywhere I went, I encountered somebody whose husband they were caring for. Mm. And I was saying, gosh, I thought maybe it was just me who was in this caregiving role with the husband. Mm. And I said, well, I have been thinking about, you know, writing about my faith in God and how we had come through our situation, that maybe this would be a good opportunity to go ahead, sit down, write this book, and be encouraging to those women also who were caring for their husband. But like I said, the book is for anybody who is going through a difficult situation and possibly involved in a caregiving role. Patricia, have you ever done anything like this before? Is this your first book? This is my first book, and I didn't know how it would be received. Really didn't know how to put it together. Mm. 
But I sat down, and as I began to just tell my story, the ideas just continued to flow. So this is my first attempt at writing a book that hopefully can benefit someone else. I can only imagine the moment, Patricia, you finally got the first hard copy in of this, and you got to hold this book you were working on for so long. What was that like? Oh, wow. You just really can't imagine, you know, to look at it, to look at the cover and actually see something that you had dreamed about come to fruition. And I just held that book in my hand and just looked at it and said, wow, (laughs) this is what all that thinking and writing and, you know, a little bit of worrying as to whether or not the book would even be accepted. Mm. But here it is, and it was just rewarding, exciting, and I was just really happy to have something in my hand to show. Mm. I know a lot of people are going to be helped out by this book. I encourage my listening audience to go check this out. It's titled Hope in a Time of Despair, A Caregiver's Journey of Faith. It's written by Patricia Seward Graham. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can pick it up anywhere like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Patricia, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about this book. I had a really nice time talking. Well, thank you, and I hope this book encourages someone to recognize that although it looks bleak and dark, there is hope in a time of despair. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 